Welcome to the Covenant Experience Podcast. At Covenant, we are growing passionate followers of Jesus Christ who serve all people. If you live in the tri-state area, we welcome you to join us on Sundays at 9 a.m. or 11 a.m. You can find more information about us online at covenantexperience.com or call us at 304-876-2212 with any questions. And now today's message. Well, good morning again. I'm excited about this morning. I'm excited to have our guests come and, and speak to you about a subject that I know is a hard subject. But, you know, one of, the, one of the threats to civilization at large is not even primarily what one believes or how one behaves, but the, the, the seemingly decreasing amount of maturity that we have collectively to talk about hard things and to talk about them in a way that, that gives respect to each other but also would defend the truth as, as we understand it. And that's why I'm so glad to have you here on this special weekend. Over the course of the last couple of weeks leading up to this, some of you have experienced some uh, surprise. You've expressed that. Wow, Pastor Joel, we're going to talk about this. Here, we are. We are. And, and of course, one of you said this, and, and I'm... I'm complimented by it, I'm blessed by it, but it's really not true. Well, we, we're really brave to talk about this. I, I'm not sure that's true. I, I think it's just that the, the environment that we're in right now makes it seem like bravery is required to talk about this. But I, I think about something Rick Warren said years ago. He uh, recently retired after 40 years of just faithful ministry to the Saddleback Church in California. He said there are two huge lies that our culture has convinced us are true. One of those lies is that if you disagree with someone, particularly if you find their ideology or their, the, what they ascribe to, if you find it to be something that's bad or hurtful or even harmful, that that means by default that you must hate that other person. The other lie, kind of like the other side of the coin, is that to truly love someone, you must or affirm or praise pretty much everything about them. And as patently absurd as those two notions ought to be to us, it's amazing to me how as a population, we've not only believed it, we've personalized it. And before we even get into the subject matter at hand, let's just talk about how we treat one another in the house of God, brothers and sisters. Personal offense has become the highest form of sin. Yeah, yeah, some of you are giggling, some of you are like, oh, well, maybe he's right. It is. In that environment, you can't have a genuine relationship. Did you know that? They're impossible. And, and at no point has this phenomenon become more clear than when as a culture we seek to have a discussion about sexual ethics. It, it's, it gets so hot so quick, and it is so unfortunate because those of us who believe what we believe and those who do not, we are called to love our neighbor. So how do we do that? How do we do that? Well, this weekend has been about that. It started yesterday morning with our men's breakfast and from then all the way through tonight. And you want to be here this afternoon if you're a parent. You want to be here tonight if you're one of our teens because it's been about the undoing of those myths. It's because contrary to what you have read or heard, the Christian ethic around sex is still there. And three things about it are still undeniably true. Number one, it is so abundantly clear in Scripture as to be unavoidable. Number two, it is emphasized as inseparable from what it means to follow Jesus. And number three, it is for our good. 
We believe that here at Covenant with all of our hearts. And, and for those reasons, just because this is a hot topic, yet Christians, followers of Jesus, this church cannot maintain radio silence on an issue like this. Not and be faithful to Jesus, but let, hear me well. How we speak about this matters. Let me make it more personal. How we speak about those created in the image and likeness of God. Our fellow brothers and sisters in humanity, even if they may not be brothers and sisters in Christ, how we speak about people Jesus died to save matters. Because the commandment, second only to love of God, is to love your neighbor as yourself. So how do you do that in a world that, at least from our own understanding of the scriptures, is just in a morass of sexual confusion? Well, Glenn Stanton has been talking about this very subject for more than a, really a couple of decades. He's the director of family formation studies and focus on the family. Flew in Friday from Colorado Springs to be with us all the way through tomorrow. And so, as I said, he's been with us speaking to multiple groups. He's going to speak to multiple groups this afternoon. But today we get to hear from him as, as one family. And those of you watching from home will, will get to hear from him as well. And so let me kind of manage expectations here. If you came today because you knew this was the subject we were going to be taking up, and you're anticipating some message about culture warring, left versus right, who the enemies are, or even worse, that the promise in this is that some sort of victory in the civic arena is going to make all this go away, you're going to be sorely disappointed. That is not what this weekend has been about. It's been about one thing. How do I, as a follower of Jesus, apart from what may happen in culture, how does the church, as the body of Christ, how do we model grace and truth? How do we love our neighbor? in a sexually confused world. And as he addresses that question with us, help me welcome Glenn Stanton to Covenant. Good morning, Saints of Covenant Church. Pastor, thank you very much. I have to tell you, I have had a lot of good introductions. I have never had one that was such a good sermon in and of itself. So he won't pass up an opportunity to preach, will he? That's good. Thank you, Joel. I appreciate that. He's absolutely right. This is such a critical issue, and it is an issue that we are facing in the world today. One of the key things about Christianity and God is God works in the context of culture and time. He is working presently in a time. And I want to start our time this morning looking at, we're going to look at a number of verses of Scripture, very, very important verses of Scripture, but one of them is very significant, and it's really going to set the tone for what we're looking at, and this is 1 Chronicles 12.32. And the whole chapter of 1 Chronicles 12 is talking about David, King David, and his mighty men that he relied on in order to do what God needed doing. And in this verse, it just lists all these groups of men. And we come down to verse 32. And the scripture tells us of Issachar, of Issachar, men who understood the times. Now, most of David's mighty men are like, they're dudes, like, these are the guys that crush things. These are the guys that can fire, you know, weapons and things like that. They're body people. But the sons of Issachar are mind people. They're thinking people. 
they understand the times, they understand the age that they were living in, the culture that they were living in, the challenges that they were facing. What does the scripture say? In order that they may know what Israel should do. We have big, strong men in the church today, but we also need men and women of Issachar, people who understand the times, the day, this year, what's happening on the world stage of history, what the world is up to, and how God is engaging that, and how the church of Jesus Christ must engage the unique things that are happening in this age. It's interesting, in the book of Acts, Paul talks about David, and he says, David served God in his generation. Every one of us serve in our particular generation, and our generation today has particularly unique challenges. The church has never been here where we are today before ever. We cannot go back and look at the early church fathers and the women and think, how did they lead in the situation that we're in today? Why? Because there has never been this challenge of the fundamental definition of what it means to be male and female. Now, Greek and Roman times, there were all kinds of crazy things going on in those times, okay? There was homosexuality. There was all kinds of different things. There was great experimentation, but they did not challenge the definition of what it means to be a man or a woman. Can a man get pregnant? Of course, the correct answer today is, of course he can get pregnant, you know? We've never been here before. And this is a challenge to the church. How do we engage this? Well, as pastor said, two great commands, love God with all your heart, mind, and soul, and love your neighbor as yourself. We must do that, but we have got to love our neighbor as ourself, understanding what we're navigating here and what we're seeing. We have to see, we're going to talk about the LGBT I call it an ideology. It's really a religion. It's become a religion. It's, it's a system of belief. And there is a canon and there's an orthodoxy. And if you don't get that orthodoxy exactly right, and many of you face this at work, if you don't get the language just right, boom, they will thunder down on you like the worst Southern Baptist hellfire preacher You know, it is a religion, and it's built on an ideology, and it is not built on science and objective reality. We need to know that. It is a belief system, and people have the right to believe anything they want to believe, but we have the right to judge that belief system. There's flat earthers today. You can go on Netflix. There's a documentary about how flat earthers actually, like they exist today and they're for real. They have a right to believe that. We have a right to go, you know what, let me see your evidence. Okay? The LGBT ideology, the LGBT belief system challenges some important things in some very fundamental ways. First of all, It challenges sex 
and the family. Sex and the family. What is human sexuality? What is human sexuality? What is the definition of family? Family is built on the idea of, and this is not just a Christian ideal, it's not just a conservative ideal, it's not just a traditional idea. If what I study at Focus on the Family is I tell people I study the family from a sociological point of view, from an anthropological, secular anthropological point of view. That means going everywhere in the world at all times and studying what the family has been. It has always been the bringing together of a male and a female to bond themselves together in an exclusive pair bonding relationship to create the next generation of humanity. Anthropologists call that a human universal. It's everywhere. It exists everywhere. Only today are we starting to challenge that question. And I want to show you a picture. This is this was on um, Twitter, um, or Instagram, actually. And this was two men, okay, in a married relationship today. And even that is an ahistorical kind of thing. Like, anybody from any age, as liberal as they may be, as progressive as they may be, what do you mean two men married? Like, never heard of that kind of thing. This is a new development. But this is our maternity shoot, I want to demonstrate to you how dramatically LGBT ideology redefines the family. What you see here is these two happy men. And you know what? Good for them. They found happiness. I mean, sincerely, I'm, I'm very happy for them. But they didn't want to just stop at their love for each other. As happens, they want their love to pour out into the next generation, but they're two men. So what did they do? I'm stunned to even just say this, because we need to get this. They hired a woman. They hired a woman. She did it of her own free will, but this picture presents that. Ma'am, please go stand in the back. The men will stand in the foreground. We are the ones that are being celebrated. We're going to hire your womb. Please serve us for a while. Give birth to our child. And when you have given birth, you're done. Check, written, here you go. Focus on the family has been protested endlessly by Handmaid's Tale protesters. Do you know who these people are? the red bonnets, things like that, the, you know, the tale of, oh my goodness, the religious conservatives are subjecting women to, you know, places of nothingness, hirelings to give birth. They're talking about you, ladies, Christian women. Look at this. That woman right there. Talk about Handmaid's Tale the LGBT ideology is reducing women to childbearing surrogates. When they have performed their task, we don't need you anymore. Well, do you want me to help you mother the child? Nope, nope, we've got it. That is radical. It redefines male and female. It redefines what it means to be male and female. 
we just, the Supreme Court just came back to its new session this week, and we welcomed our first black female Supreme Court justice. Apart from ideology, that's something wonderful to celebrate, a black woman on the Supreme Court. But during her hearings, somebody, a senator from Tennessee, asked her, can you define a woman? And she said, no, I cannot. Now, get this. She's a brilliant woman. She's on the Supreme Court. She knows what a woman is. But she knows in this present age, she could never say, I'll tell you exactly what a woman is. I'm a woman, and I want to be on the Supreme Court, and I'm a female with XX chromosomes, and I can give birth, potentially, and I'm a woman, and yes, I know exactly what a woman is. She could not say that because the LGBT ideology has taken that away from us. Instead, we say birthing people, chest-feeding people. That is a horrible thing to do to women. Next, the LGBT ideology challenges humanity itself. What does it mean to be human? Because to be human, there is no non-binary person. There just isn't. It's biologically, naturally impossible. It is an artificial creation. Everybody that comes into the world comes into the world either male or female. Now, there are very rare things called intersex. That's simply a developmental abnormality where genitalia or chromosomes don't develop in the normal, natural way. But neither do limbs sometimes, you know? People can be born without a limb. That doesn't mean they're a different kind of human. It just means their body didn't develop in the natural, normal sort of way. So the LGBT ideology challenged sex and family. It challenges male and female. We saw that in the picture. It challenges humanity, and it challenges reality itself. We need to say this part out loud. We are being asked to play along with a new understanding of reality. And guess what? Our dear neighbors and friends and family members and coworkers have the right to do that. But we don't have to play along. We don't have to play along, and that's what I want to talk about today. But mainly, we as Christians need to get this. The LGBT ideology most fundamentally and most dramatically and most radically challenges the very goodness, the very goodness and nature of God himself. Oh my goodness, Glenn, that's a profound statement. Where do you get that from? Well, let's look at the verse of scripture that we read this morning. The first chapter, the first page of scripture God says in Genesis chapter 1, Genesis chapter 1, verse 26, God says, let us make man, humanity, mankind, all of us, let us make humanity in our image and our likeness. As we read the scriptures this morning, pastor was explaining, like, God created all all of the wonderful creation, okay? 
as amazing as it is, as breathtaking as it is, none of that, the mountains in Colorado where I'm from, the cornfields yesterday that I saw on the battlefield of Antietam, that's just beautiful, right? The, the mountains, none of that bears the image and likeness of God. At this point in the story, that has not been created yet. But God says, for all of creation, for all the beauty, let us now create something in our image and in our likeness. Think about that. That is a profound turn in the story. So if we're all listening to God saying this in this first chapter, we're like, oh my goodness, look at all of creation. It's amazing. But God says there's something even better that's going to come. What he's going to create now is his very image and likeness. What in the world could that be? Okay, the first time, well, let me read what that is in verse 27. So God created man in his own image. He created man, humanity, in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. Understand this, Christians. Understand this, that the first time that we encounter the words, these curious words, male and female, they're not in relation to Adam and Eve per se. That's going to come in just a minute. Where we encounter these two very powerful and very contested words today in culture, where we first encounter them in Scripture, they do not reference Adam and Eve. They reference God himself, male and female, in his image and his likeness. Now, here's the mystery. Is God male or female? Well, he presents himself. He, we understand him as father, but he is not male in the way that humans are male. And he's not female, but in a mysterious way, God says it himself. Let us make man in our image according to our likeness. In the image of God, he created them, male and female. So people, when you hear the debate going on about what male and female are, don't think about that is the challenge of who Adam and Eve are. It's the challenge of God's image and likeness in the world. What did Satan say at the fall? Something about trees. And, oh, well, God certainly didn't mean that. He got Adam and Eve to doubt the word of God. What is he getting us to doubt today? Not just the word of God, the very image and likeness of God. Satan understands what's happening. Believers, we need to understand as well. This is a profound battle. And unfortunately, many Christians say, well, the whole gender issue, like that's just a secondary issue. The gospel is the main issue. Oh my gosh, do you not read the scriptures, right? Male and female are the image of God. Challenging male and female is challenging the image of God himself. So how do we confront this challenge today? How do we stand up to this? How do we engage it? By being sons of Issachar, 
by knowing what's really happening under the surface here. And what's happening under the surface is not just the traditional idea of male and female, but challenging the very image of God, the image and likeness of God himself. How do we confront this challenge? How do we confront this challenge today? Well, and this is, you know, the joke about um, the Sunday school teacher who asked, or Sunday school class, what's gray and small and goes around and collects nuts and has a fluffy tail and a little boy says, I know the answer is likely Jesus because we're in Sunday school, but it sounds like a squirrel. Like we often think, you know, Jesus is the simple, you know, simple answer to the answer. But the question of how we engage this issue, how we engage this challenge is the Jesus way. We have to do it the way Jesus did it. Well, Jesus never faced this kind of thing while he was on earth, okay? Because the culture that he lived in just simply wasn't facing these kinds of questions as to what the definition of male and female are. But that doesn't mean that we don't have guidance from the scriptures. Let's look at John chapter 1, verse 14. John chapter 1, verse 14. We read at the very beginning, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. Who is the Word? Well, later down in verse 14, we learn who the Word is that was from the beginning. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory as of the only Son of the Father. So this is speaking of Jesus who is incarnated. He leaves from the Father, the Father who is presented to us as a father, not just a generic parent, but as a father. And Jesus is the Son. And he comes into the world in the flesh. And Christians, he doesn't come to us through the manger, okay? He ends up in the manger, but get this. We know the story, right? Jesus came into our realm. The incarnation happened, if you will, and you should, through the birth canal of a woman. From the father, comes as a male child, through Mary, a woman, through her birth canal. Folks, Christianity is a gendered faith. It takes sex very real, okay? That is a dramatic story. And then the scripture tells us, he came to us from the Father, full of truth and grace. This is where I want to park for just a little bit. Full of truth and grace. Now, let's look at the word full. Full is an absolute term. You can't have kind of full, almost full, because almost full is not full, right? Full is full. Full is a hundred percent, a hundred percent, a hundred percent full of grace and a hundred percent full of truth. Now, let me speak a tough word 
to you. Some of us like to have a Jesus that is 120% grace and 20% truth. But while the rest of you Christians are thinking, yeah, Glenn, go after those people. There are some who like 120% truth and 20% grace, okay? Neither of those are Jesus, right? Full of grace and truth. And parents face this all the time. Moms and dads face this all the time. You have your child, and like they act up, and you want to come down on them. But either mom or dad says, you know what, give them a break. Like they're tired, they haven't had their nap. And then the other parent, like, no, you can't act that way. You know, we as parents deal with the grace and truth balance all the time, right? Well, Jesus did as well. And we have to in this culture. And I love the quote that he shared um, from the pastor in California, Rick Warren, um, that we have this idea that, well, if you don't agree with me, then you must hate me. And in order to show my love to me, you have to agree. I mean, that's madness, right? Guess what? We can disagree with one another and love each other at the same time. And I'm going to demonstrate that a little bit, how that can work in just a minute. But we need to get the grace and the truth balance squared away absolutely right. And here's how we work this. In a book that I wrote a number of years ago, and I didn't bring it with me, I should have, my publisher will kill me like, Glenn, hold it up when you're in front of people so you can sell the book, but I'm not a salesman. It's called Loving My LGBT Neighbor, Being Friends in Grace and Truth, and it's how to get this balance right. And this is the way I divide it out. When you are dealing with another human being, a person in front of you, a set of two eyes that you're looking into and a heart that feels, that hurts, that yearns, that desires things. When you're interacting with a person, always, always, always operate with that person out of 100% grace because that is God's heart toward that person. What about truth? Well, when you come to facts, when you come to reality, when you come to issues of the way things are, the nature of reality, what male and female are, what objective reality is, what a mother is, she's not a surrogate, she's not a hireling, she is a person that has a life to give to the next generation, and a ideology that just dismisses that is a horrible ideology, it just is. You've got to deal with that kind of thing in 100% truth, 100% truth. So deal with people, another human beating heart that has desires, that has intentions, that has wishes. Deal with them in grace. But the issues at hand, we have always got to deal with with truth. That is exactly what Jesus did. And guess what? Read through the scriptures. There are plenty of times where people walk away from Jesus feeling downcast because he says, you know what, this is how it is. I'm sorry. We have to be willing to allow that to be the case. Okay, 
So the sons of Issachar, as we're thinking about getting this balance between um, truth and grace right, we as sons of Issachar have to understand some really basic things about the LGBT ideology. And I want to start with this. And this is important for us to understand that there is no such thing, there is no such thing as an LGBT person or an LGBT community. And it's interesting, I say that all the time and people always ask, Glenn, how in the world can you say that? There are LGBT, we hear from them all the time. They're always on shows, they're always on movies, they're always in the news, things like that. How can you say that there is not LGBT people or an LGBT community? Let me explain to you what I mean. And I want to do this from people in the so-called LGBT community themselves. Slide, please. This is a friend of mine, John Corvino. He is a philosophy professor at Wayne State University. He and I have debated the issue of same-sex marriage on college campuses across the country for years. And he's a dear friend. He lives in Michigan with his partner, actually his, his husband. Um, he's a, his husband, and I have a hard time even saying that because a husband is somebody who's married to a woman. A wife is somebody who's married to a man. You can't understand male or female, husband or wife, without the other, without their complement, if you will. But this is John. John wrote this in the New York Times back in 2015. He says, I'm amused whenever I hear somebody say, as an LGBT person, Nobody is an LGBT person. And he says this kind of tongue-in-cheek. You can have two, maybe three letters maximum, but all the letters do not apply to, everybody, to anybody because the letters themselves are contradictory, right? Okay, next slide, please. This is another friend of mine, Jonathan Rausch. He lives in D.C. He works for the Brookings Institution. He's a brilliant guy. He's one of the best writers that the Atlantic Monthly has. And he wrote this article for the Atlantic Monthly a number of years ago. And he's one of the most articulate spokespeople for the idea of same-sex marriage that I know. He's a fair individual. I disagree with him. He and I argue constantly when we see each other about the things that we disagree on, but we're friends, and we're really friends. But he says this, for me, the ugliness and unwieldiness of the LGBTQ add insult to industry, as does the fact that it is not a label that accurately describes anyone or any other American. It describes a coalition, yes, and I'm actually going to disagree with him in just a minute. It doesn't even describe a coalition, and I'm going to demonstrate that to you, but no actual person. Next slide. This is a more recent example. This is a guy named Gary Lucia. When the whole falsely named Don't Say Gay Bill came up in Florida and Disney got so involved in this, this gentleman, Gary Lucia, a Disney employee published this essay um, online. He says, let me speak for myself. I am not LGBTQ, LGBTQ+, LGBTQIA+. I am gay, just gay. When you refer to me as all this alphabet soup, it is offensive to me. 
Too many Christians like will say, oh, Glenn, you say LGBT. They want to be called LGBTQ now. Like, no, they don't, okay? Stop putting people in a box like, oh, I know exactly what those people are. People like Gary Lucia say, don't. See me for who I am. See me for what my story is. You are putting a label on me that I never approved of. You are lumping me in with all these other groups of people together, and we are not a monolith. And as I'll show you that there's a terrible fight going on currently within the LGBT community in a very dramatic way. I want to read to you another quote. Douglas Murray is a British intellectual. You see him a lot on Fox Now but he's not a conservative. He's more of a middle-of-the-road kind of guy. He's an openly gay man. He's, you'll see him on Fox. He's very distinguished, very well put together, proper British gentleman. But he says this. He says, the LGBT community is a form of absurdity. Quote, one great big contradiction, because even on its own terms, this composition is wildly unsustainable and contradictory. He continues, it may be too pedestrian to even mention, but gay men and lesbians do not always have the warmest relationships. And anybody who knows that community, especially gay and lesbian individuals themselves, know this to be true. He says, neither have very much use for the other, and almost none of them meet in communal spaces. There is hardly any place in the decades since gay liberation where gay men and women organize or assemble to be near each other on anything like a regular basis. And there's even debates about the gay pride marches. The lesbians will say, why do we have to march in the back? Why can't we march up front? Okay, this community does not really get along together, which makes them no different than any other community. You know what? I'm here in a Baptist church and not a Presbyterian church because Christians have disagreements about what it is we believe, right? People do that. So no, there is not an LGBTQ community. Next slide, please. This is very recent. This is dated August 27th. And this is on Twitter, and the hashtag LGB without the T is a tremendously um, trending thing on the Twitterverse and in, in the public square that that is. Another trending one is LGBT and no T. Here's what they're saying. Let's start with Sasha down here. She says, as a lesbian, I have nothing in common with a movement that claims that men can be women or lesbians. I want nothing to do with the lunacy. Okay, Sasha, you can't say that about transgendered people. She's like, I don't care. It's lunacy. And no, I'm a lesbian. I know what women are. You know, that's kind of what I'm all about as a lesbian. That's what she's saying. This up here. The 2022 Pride movement is the trans Pac-Man gobbling up all the other letters. Because here's what's happening. Let me demonstrate this with the next slide. Okay? Um, This woman, she's a British woman, bourbon and bitters. Um, She's saying LGBT without the T, LGB without the T is trending. Let's keep it this way. And she demonstrates this. 
that the L, the G, and the B is being attacked, is being consumed, is being erased by the T and the Q, which she calls an other made-up nonsense. Okay, so break this down, Glenn. What's the, what's the difference and what's the, the disagreement between the L, the G, and the B, and the T and the Q? Here's the thing. The L, the G, and the B are inherently binary. And binary is the original sin in gender ideology. Okay, what are lesbians? They are physical, objective, real women who are interested in who? All the other genders, all the other possibilities, no, women, okay? So lesbians are pretty much like us at Focus on the Family who are pretty strict on what women are, right? Same thing with the G. They're men who like men. Bi, okay, bisexuals, the binary is right in there. It's either you like both men and women, not interested in any of the other 32 or 48 or 62 genders, okay? But the T and the Q come along and say, oh no, male and female are not what you think they are. They can be anything. And the lesbians are saying, no, excuse me. I do not want a dude coming into my lesbian bar and trying to chat me up like he's one of the girls. He's just not. Okay? That's where the breakdown is presently happening. And it's vicious within this community. It's very, very significant. LGBT is not what you have been told. Next slide, please. Oh, I, I want to highlight this. This is Eric Kaufman. He's from the University of London, and this is my picture of my copy of his study, Born This Way, question mark. The rise of LGBT as a social and political identity. Eric Kaufman is a social scientist. He's a British guy. He's not a conservative. And he has found some very interesting things that the LGBT community is not even anymore about sexuality or real objective gender identification. The question mark on his title, Born This Way, that is what we have been sold. Oh, this is the way that people are just, they're born this way. He says that's not the case anymore. Next slide. This is data from his research. He says, recently, more recently, when we look at homosexual behavior, sexual behavior, we find that it has grown less rapidly than LGBT identification. By 2021, LGBT identification was running twice the rate as what we would think of as LGBT behavior itself. What is he saying? He's saying that increasingly there are, if you will, cisgender, I hate that term because it's not a real term, but cisgender male, female people who are heterosexual, guys who like girls and girls who like guys who are identifying as LGBT simply because it's the cool thing to do. And teachers know this. Like, you know, they'll tell you, I've got 10 kids in my class who identify as LGBT. What's their story? They're straight as a nail, but they just identify. So we have to understand that what we think we're hearing when somebody says, I'm an LGBT person, we have to get behind that and ask them their story. 
okay? Do pay no attention to the buzzwords that they throw out. Say, okay, I hear what you're saying, but help me understand what your heart is. Tell me how you see yourself. I did this a, a while ago, and I shared this yesterday. It was a woman named Stephanie, and she said that she was a trans lesbian. And so I, I looked behind, you know, I said, okay, Stephanie, I mean, I get that, but like, tell me your story. Who are you? What are you about? And here's what she said. She said, um, I'm trans. No, she said, she started with lesbian. She goes, I'm a lesbian. She said, um, I like men, but I find I'm more comfortable with women because they're just safer. And I said, have you been hurt by men? And she goes, yeah, I've been hurt by men horribly. Okay. What about the trans thing? She says, well, I'm, I, I identify as a woman, but I'm not a typical woman. I'm not a girly girl. I like to explore. I like to take chances. I like to risk. I like to go out there and see what is out there in the world. I'm like a man that way. So I'm trans. And I said, you sound like Amelia Earhart. And she goes, exactly. I'm like, you're not a lesbian and you're not trans. You're a woman that has been hurt by men. And you're looking for safety. And you're looking for comfort. And you are not trans. You're a woman who like loves to do awesome things. Honor that. See, that's the example of move beyond the buzzwords, move beyond the bumper stickers, talk to the person, find out what their heart is, and then connect with them on that level. And you will find time and time and time and time again that these buzz phrases that they offer you are very empty and shallow. That's exactly what Eric Kaufman is finding and has found with his very careful research. Next slide, please. This is another thing. Look at the data up here. The Atlantic had a major cover story, Why American Teens Are So Sad. I talked to your drummer yesterday. He's a retired teacher. He was, he was saying this. He's like, teaching is tough. He goes, kids are depressed. They're having such a hard time. They're so off balance. The Atlantic Monthly was writing about this. They wrote about it in April. But look at this. Of all the different categories of people who are most unhappy, the Atlantic admitted this. It's the LGBT kids. And so the answer is, well, of course they're unhappy because they're not accepted by society. They're not celebrated. They're not lifted up. They're not embraced. But look at these years, starting in 2015, about the very time that we started falling all over ourselves to celebrate everything that is an alternative lifestyle, that unhappiness level is shooting up. It's not getting better because what is happening is we're taking reality, we're taking what God made us to be turning it on its head and just saying, just keep singing a happy song and everything will be great. But it's not great. It's not great. We do not love people by going along with their illusions. Next slide, please. LGBT is certainly not what you have been told. It's not a community. There is no such thing as an LGBT person. It is certainly not true that they're just born that way. 
It's morphing into some crazy stuff. Next slide. If LGBT is anything, it is this. It is a wholly subjective self-declaration that I, the autonomous individual, am set on challenging universal sexual and gender norms in dramatic ways. We have to understand that that's what this is. It is largely a rebellion. It is largely a rebellion against, and the people who are involved in it do not understand it, but it is a rebellion against the very image and likeness of God himself. Everywhere I go in the world, I go to small little communities in Asia, and the parents there will ask me, where did this trans thing come from? Parents here in this community ask me the same thing. I know the people on the other side. They're not that smart. They're not that strategic. This is a spiritual conspiracy that's being driven around the world. And nobody should understand that better than Christians do. Next slide, please. This revolution operates on intimidation. Play along with this. Get along with this. Do not just uh, move away from this. Or you could lose your job. You could lose your reputation. We will slime you. And there are people in the LGBT community that are absolutely disgusted with the way people like you and us are being treated. That if we disagree, we are just absolutely canceled. So it's not even all the people in the LGBT community who are doing this kind of stuff, but a lot of the key power players are intimidating us. It's based on confusion. People ask me all the time, I have a hard time like keeping up with things. That is a feature, not a bug of the problem. They want you confused. What does Q mean? What does queer mean? Queer means nothing. It just means I don't want to fit in a box and I want to be anything that I want to be. That's exactly what that means. But also, it is an exploitation of false compassion. It comes along and says, you Christians are supposed to love everybody. Why won't you love us and just accept what we want to do? You know what? Do not use our values against us. I will love you all day long. I am your champion. I am with you as a person. I will advocate for you, but do not ask me to believe things I cannot believe. Okay? We cannot fall for this. I want to end with this. The age that we're in is a very unique age, but there is an age not too long ago that was facing the same sorts of things. Alexander Solzhenitsyn, was a famous Russian novelist. And he was exiled from his homeland, Russia, in 1974. And before he left, what was happening in communist Russia was this, the, the communists were saying up is down, good is bad, black is white. They were changing the definition of words basic words that everybody knew the definition of, they were changing the definitions of those things. And they were punishing people who did not go along with the new language. And when Solzhenitsyn was getting ready to leave to come to the U.S., he wrote 
an essay, and you can find it online, and I encourage you to go read. It's a relatively short essay, but it's, it's referred to today as Live Not By Lies. And he says this, my countrymen, as he's getting ready to leave, he writes this essay, and he says, my countrymen, you are all powerless. You're, you're just simple workers, you're laborers, you have no political power, but you do have power. Your power is this, the simple and most accessible key to our self-neglected liberation is this, the personal non participation in lies. That's literally how he said it. We say it today, live not by lies. Doing so is the easiest thing for us and is the most destructive for the lies. Simply your refusal to go along with it. He says, because when people renounce lies, it cuts short their existence. Like parasites, Lies can only survive when carried from person to person. One, our way must be never, never, never knowingly support lies. Never utter them, never repeat them, okay? We can disagree on how we do that, but he's making a hard line here. Do not repeat lies, And we will be amazed how swiftly the lies fall away. For that which should be naked will be exposed as such to the whole world. Live not by lies. Love people, embrace people, care for people, be their biggest champion, but do not live by lies live 100% in grace. This church should be overflowing with grace, but it also should be a bulwark of 100% truth that, you know what, we love you, but we're always gonna speak the truth to you. And that is one of the most loving things that we can do. That is how Jesus did it. 100% grace, 100% truth. That is what we are called to do in this age. And the sons of Issachar, if they were living with us today, they would help us understand that. And we've got to understand it well. Let's pray. Father, thank you. We thank you for the challenges that you have brought to us in our day and age. They're uncomfortable, they're difficult, but you are with us, with your Holy Spirit, with your example with who you are, and we ask that you would help us to be faithful to what you have called us to be, to be great, passionate lovers of everybody, but also to be champions uncompromisingly of the truth, and help us to creatively and holily work and walk in that balance. We pray all this in the wonderful and glorious name of Christ. Amen. Hi, everybody. Pastor Joel here, and I am so glad you stopped by. I pray this podcast helps you in your walk with God. And if you're listening with questions about faith of any sort, God is not afraid of those questions, and neither are we. Join us any Sunday morning at 9 o'clock or 11 o'clock in the morning. 
If you're new to our area and looking for a church home, I hope we'll see you soon and have the opportunity to welcome you properly and personally through our doors. And if you live in the tri-state area, but you're already a part of one of the other phenomenal church families here, I pray this podcast has been a great addition to the primary teaching you already received from your local pastor and that you've been better equipped to serve your own church family. So let's all go make Jesus famous this week. Share his love every chance you get until we meet again. And God bless you.